Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and the naked mole rat to my left is Katie. Whoa, 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 whoa. First off, I am not naked. I just want to make that real clear. And second off, animal intros are my thing. Well, I'm stealing it this time. But I will amend it to, I'm Ellen, and the fully clothed mole rat to my left is Katie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered Chapter 3, The Advance Guard, and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. Harry's head spun as his future seemed bleak, still stuck at the Dursleys for damn near a week. He tried sending letters in search of some news, but they gave up nothing, not even some clues. Then one fine day, his guard showed up late, and Harry said, Fuck, it's about time, that was a bitch of a wait. On Tonks and on Lupin, on Kingsley, said Moody, there's no time to waste and don't blow off your booty. Off into the dark, each on their own broom, across England they'd bob and they'd weave and they'd zoom. They kept Harry well hidden, unless it's the movies you're viewing. Hey Yates, check yourself, these are good books you're screwing. During episode 121, Moody the Booty, our Potter pondering was... How do you think the Dursleys reacted when they realized there was no all-England best-kept suburban lawn competition? Also, do you think that the Ministry can tell if a person who is doing magic near someone with the trace is allowed to do magic? Hey Ellen, hey Katie, Jackson here. So, the first part of pondering, I think we all know Vernon is a raging conservative, so he probably would have said something about how jail is the only acceptable way to punish pranksters like that. Petunia would have probably blamed it on the neighbour kids and Dudley would have just been pissed that there was no free fancy dinner. (laughs) And as for the Ministry tracking magic, look, in the case of this particular moment, they're already trying to get Harry expelled and possibly an Azkaban, so maybe at this point they don't care. But whether they can track that an adult is using magic around an underage kid, well, the thing with Dobby was that Harry was the only wizard in the house at the time. So maybe it's different when there's multiple wizards, you know? You know, when it's just one single kid, it's different. But it is a bit confusing. But yeah, I think... They, they can't tell when it's a whole bunch of wizards. And I'm sorry for rambling. <laughs> Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How did the satchels of assholes react when they pulled up on not the best kept lawn contest? I hope they was embarrassed because, you know, they don't like that shit. I hope they was very flustered. I really wish I would know where Tonk sent that ass. 
I hope it was some random public place where it looked extremely out of place, out of pocket, like they're not supposed to be there. And what are you doing? And I hope Vernon walked around the next couple of motherfuckers like, what's going on here? Isn't this supposed to be? And then we're embarrassed because they don't like that shit. I hope that's what happened. And as far as the trace, I remember thinking that they weren't traceable because they were auras. That's just me thinking now. Because I was sure that the trace just detects magic in general. You know? It's not that Davi is not allowed to do magic because house elves use magic for stuff. It's just magic what's supposed to be happening over there. You see what I'm saying? Nobody gets a letter from the ministry. You know, at the borough, I don't know, I'm confused now, but I'm pretty sure just me thinking it was because they were auras and they probably, it's not a trace on their magic. That's just me thinking. I could be wrong, but that would definitely type a little weird ass loophole right here. Hey guys, this is my pot of pondering for episode 121. So you asked two questions. So this is going to be sort of a funny one for the first one about the Dursleys realizing that they're not going to what they thought they were doing. And here's basically. How I think Vernon would react. What? Who? What? Harry! <laughs> oh boy. And for the second one, that's actually a sort of a hard one to think of. Like, I don't think the ministry would allow anyone with the trace to perform any kind of magic when they're underage. Their laws are pretty strict, so yeah, that's what I think. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what does the umbrella stand at number 12 Grimmauld Place look like it was made from? The large umbrella stand looks as though it had been made from a severed troll's leg. Ooh. Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller. Woohoo! I promise Sarah I'd do shimmies when you I was. You did the shimmy. So I did that for her. Speaking of Sarah... She was also right on Jackson's heels with the answer. And he gave her the secret to jumping forward in the episode to find the question quickly. So maybe she's going to get it this week. Maybe it'll be Jackson again. He's got a streak going. Maybe it'll be Michaela because she's also right there answering the questions too. Who's it going to be? We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimmauld Place, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimmauld Place, Part 1 Harry starts to ask what the Order of the Phoenix is, but Moody cuts him off, telling him to wait until they're inside. He takes the parchment from Harry and sets it on fire with his wand. Harry looks at the houses again, seeing Number 11, and number 13, but no number 12. He starts to ask about it, and Lupin quietly tells him to think about what he memorized. As Harry thinks, a battered door emerges from nowhere between numbers 11 and 13, followed by grimy walls and windows. Harry gapes as the house appears to inflate and push the other houses aside, though the muggles inside don't appear to notice anything. They hurry up the steps, and Lupin tells Harry to get inside, but not to go too far in or to touch anything. Harry moves into a damp, dusty hall that smells of rot and has the feel of a derelict building. 
He looks behind him at the only light as everyone else files in too. Then Mad-Eye Moody shuts the door, rendering everything completely black. He lifts the disillusionment charm from Harry and whispers for everyone to stay there while he gets some light. The hushed voices give Harry an odd sense of foreboding. With a soft hissing noise, old-fashioned gas lamps sputter to life, revealing peeling wallpaper, a threadbare carpet, aged portraits, and a cobwebby chandelier that is shaped like serpents. Mrs. Weasley, looking thinner and paler than usual, hurries out of a door at the other end of the hall. She smiles in welcome and greets Harry with a hug, telling him that he looks a bit peaky and needs feeding up, but dinner will have to wait for a bit. The gang of wizards that escorted Harry begin to make their way into the room Mrs. Weasley has exited, and when he tries to follow them, she stops him and informs him that the meeting is only for members of the Order. She directs him upstairs to wait with Ron and Hermione until the meeting is over and they will have dinner, also telling him to keep his voice down in the hall. Harry wonders why, and she mysteriously says that she doesn't want him to wake anything up. Harry starts to ask what she means, and she says that she will explain later, but that she needs to be in the meeting, so she will just show him to where he is sleeping. She presses a finger to her mouth and tiptoes past a long, moth-eaten curtain, then an umbrella stand that appears to have been made from a troll's leg, and up the dark staircase, where they pass a row of shrunken house-elf heads mounted on the wall. He again tries to ask Mrs. Weasley a question, but she cuts him off to say Ron and Hermione will explain everything, but she's got to run. She directs him to the room on the right and says she'll call him when it's over. Molly hurries back down the stairs as Harry crosses the landing and turns the serpent's head-shaped doorknob to open the door. He catches a brief glimpse of a room with twin beds before Hermione throws herself onto him in a hug that nearly knocks him over. She begins rapid-fire speaking to him, asking when he got there, wondering if he's been furious with them for their useless letters, but Dumbledore made them swear not to say anything, asking to hear about the Dementors, and calling the Ministry hearing outrageous, saying they can't expel him, she's looked it all up. Ron tells her to let him breathe, but grins and closes the door behind Harry. Hermione lets go of him, and Hedwig soars down and lands on Harry's shoulder, and gives his ear an affectionate nibble. Ron says that she's been in a right state, pecking them after she brought his last letter, and holds up his finger to show a deep but half-healed cut. Harry apologizes for that, explaining that he wanted answers, but the glow he was feeling disappears as they again explain that Dumbledore made them swear not to tell him. There's a moment of silence that Hermione fills by explaining that Dumbledore seemed to think it was for the best, and Ron adds on that he thinks he thought Harry was safest with the Muggles. Harry raises his eyebrows and asks if either of them have been attacked by Dementors. Ron says no, but brings up the members of the Order that were tailing him, and Harry tries to keep himself calm as he points out how well that didn't work. Hermione tells Harry how angry Dumbledore was when he found out Mundungus left before his shift ended and calls him scary. Harry coldly tells her that he's glad he left or he never would have done magic and probably would have been stuck at Privet Drive all summer. He tries to pretend he isn't concerned about the ministry hearing and turns away from his friends looking at the dark and dank room. Still trying to keep his voice casual, he asks why Dumbledore wants to keep him in the dark and Ron tells him that they really haven't seen him that much and all they know is he made him swear not to put important stuff in writing. 
Harry insists that he still could have figured out a way to keep him informed if he wanted, and says that maybe Dumbledore thinks he can't be trusted or take care of himself. When Hermione insists that their headmaster doesn't think that, Harry loses all of his cool, wondering why he had to stay at the Dursleys while they both get to join in and know everything going on. Ron interrupts to inform Harry that they aren't allowed anywhere near the meetings, but this just makes Harry start shouting about still being there and together when he's been stuck at the Dursleys for a month and has handled more than the two of them. Saving the Sorcerer's Stone, getting rid of Riddle, saving them from Dementors, getting past dragons and sphinxes, seeing him come back and escaping from him. Ron isn't sure what to say and Hermione tries to explain that they really wanted to tell him, but this just sets Harry off some more and he continues yelling about everything. Hermione tells him that she's really sorry and that he's right. She'd be furious if it was her. Harry paces back and forth and after a long pause asks them where they are. Ron immediately tells him that it is headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix and Hermione cuts off Harry's follow-up question to explain that it's a secret society founded by Dumbledore to fight you-know-who. Harry asks who's in it and Ron says they've met about 20 of them but think there are more. Wanting more information, Harry glares at them and asks them what's been happening with Voldemort. Hermione nervously reminds him that the Order doesn't let them into the meetings, but hastily explains that they have a general idea. Ron adds on that Fred and George invented extendable ears, which are really useful. He also explains that his mom found out about them and went berserk. They had to hide them to stop her from throwing them all out, but they were able to get a lot of use out of them before she found out and learned that they are working to recruit more people, keeping tabs on known Death Eaters, and talking a lot about guard duty. Harry points out that guard duty must have referred to him and snorts when Ron comprehends this. He wonders what has been keeping them so busy if they aren't allowed in the meetings, and Hermione explains that they've been decontaminating the house since it's been empty for years. She's in the middle of explaining what they are doing tomorrow when Fred and George apparate in, startling her. They greet Harry, George telling him that they thought they heard his dulcet tones, and Fred telling him that he shouldn't bottle up his anger like that. Harry grumpily comments on them passing their apparition tests, and Fred answers with distinction. He's holding a flesh-colored string that's trailing out to the landing and tells Harry that he is interfering with the extendable ear's reception. Ron warns them to be careful that Mum doesn't see them again, but Fred insists that it's worth the risk since they are having a major meeting. The movie scene starts with the camera focusing on a window of one of the houses. On Moody's third tap of his staff, the buildings begin rumbling and the camera switches to show the houses spreading apart and a couple in one of the houses watching television, apparently oblivious to the motion. Harry watches in awe as a third house appears in the middle and Mad-Eye Moody tells him to get inside. The scene shifts to Harry inside, slowly walking down a very dark, narrow hallway towards some voices that can be heard in the background. Moody and the other wizards push past him, and Tonks winks at him as she passes, then stumbles a bit as she makes it further down the hallway. Harry gets a brief glimpse of Sirius Black, Remus Lupin, and Arthur Weasley as his guard enters the room at the end of the hall. They stop talking and look up at him, and Harry smiles. But before he can say anything, Mrs. Weasley comes to the door and greets him, stepping out into the hall and closing the door behind her. She gives him a big hug, grateful that he is all right, but also comments that he is a bit peaky. 
She tells him the dinner will have to wait until after the meeting and quickly cuts Harry off before he can ask anything about it. She directs him upstairs to the first door on the left and watches him as he walks away. As Harry heads upstairs, the camera focuses on the heads of house elves encased in glass, then switches to show his trepidation as he goes up the stairs in a clearly very dark house. He hears a low voice mumbling, and when he approaches the landing, there is an old house elf with a box. He closes the door and glares at Harry as he drags his box towards a portrait. As Harry walks away, the elf pulls out a rag and begins polishing the frame with it, muttering soothing words to his mistress. Harry largely ignores him and continues walking towards the first door on the left. He cautiously opens the door and is startled as Hermione cries out his name and immediately throws herself into his arms for a hug. Ron walks up to them too, and Hermione releases him to ask if he is alright, saying they heard about the Dementor attack and he must tell them everything. Ron tells her to let him breathe, and she continues speaking, telling Harry that the hearing at the Ministry is completely outrageous. She looked it up, and they simply can't expel him, because it's completely unfair. Harry walks further into the room and gives a subtly sassy, yeah, there's a lot of that going around. Since they aren't offering up any information, he flat out asks them what this place is, and Ron tells him that it is headquarters. Hermione elaborates that it is for the Order of the Phoenix, a secret society formed by Dumbledore back during the first time they fought you-know-who. Harry wonders why they couldn't have put any of that information in a letter since he's gone all summer without a scrap of news. Ron soberly tells him that they wanted to write, and Hermione jumps in to breathlessly tell him that Dumbledore made them swear not to tell him anything. Harry doesn't understand why Dumbledore would want to keep him in the dark, figuring he could help. His emotions begin to rise as he points out that he's the one who saw Voldemort return and fought him. He's the one who saw Cedric Diggory get killed. At this point, Fred and George apparate directly behind Harry and greet him, saying they thought they heard his dulcet tones and joke about him not bottling it up. They offer him something more interesting to hear, if he's all done shouting. The book and movie sections here are actually pretty spot on to one another. Mm-hmm. There are really only a few minor changes to what was included. However, there were definitely a lot of details left out. <gasps> details? Left out of the movie? Shocking. I know, right? Chapter 4 starts out right after Harry has read that note that says headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix is located at number 12 Grimald Place. Mm-hmm. And he starts to ask what that means, but Moody's just like, wait till we're inside. <laughs> In that very, like, super paranoid way that he does. Mm -hmm. It's the Moody way. Right, the Moody way. Moody the Booty way. Mm -hmm. He takes the parchment from Harry and then just sets it on fire. So now nobody else can read it because th there's a good reason for this, which we learn about later. Not at this point. At this point, it's all just very mysterious. Mm -hmm. And Harry's just like, okay, what the fuck's going on? Nobody yeah. will tell me anything still. <laughs> and he looks up at these dingy houses in front of him and there's a number 11 and there's a number 13 and there's no fucking number 12. So he's like, I don't even understand what's happening. And Lupin's just like, just think about what you memorized. And the moment that Harry thinks the headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix is located at number 12 Grimald Place, London, a house literally appears between 11 and 13. It like inflates between mm -hmm. them. And nobody in 11 or 13 seems to notice this is happening. It just magically appears. 
Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that Harry didn't read a note and the movie set it up to seem like Moody used magic instead, this is pretty much how the movie did it. Yeah. Really. We join up with the movie as they're looking at a row of townhouses somewhere in London. We know they are in London because, as you may recall, their super secret covert mission to get Harry out of Privet Drive involved a completely inconspicuous broom ride down the Thames. You know, like most covert operations do. I believe you mean overt operations. Ah, yes. That is the word that was wrong in that sentence. (laughs) Moody taps his staff three times on the ground, and with the third tap, the buildings begin to shake and rumble. Though from what we can see through the windows, the residents of these townhomes have no idea there is a magical earthquake going down. No. Which is very similar to what the book said. You're right. Very much so. Harry's jaw drops as the brick and mortar building literally stretches out until a whole nother goddamn house is revealed. So kind of like the book, but it doesn't, it slides. Yeah, it doesn't Yeah. I think that the term inflate conjures more of a cartoonish aspect for me. Mm -hmm. And since this is live action movie, the slide made more sense as a transition for the appearing house. Yeah. And then the gruff voice of Mad-Eye Moody tells Harry to get inside. And really, who's going to argue with him? True. First off, it's Mad-Eye Booty. Mad-Eye Booty. Moody the Booty. Moody the Booty. No one's going to argue with the booty. No one's going to argue with the booty. (laughs) And this is a slight difference from the book because it was Lupin who told Harry to get inside. But as we know, Lupin is not here in this moment. Yes. Although my brain doesn't quite know that. No, your brain completely forgot that, didn't I it? I keep trying to add <laughs> actors into scenes that were there in the books, but not the movies. I wish we would have had some more Lupin, but sadly. So sadly. Mm-hmm. So Harry slowly walks down the hallway towards voices at the end. And Harry suddenly wonders if maybe, maybe that's why there was so much secrecy this summer. It's a surprise party! Surprise! Right? Happy birthday! His friends didn't forget him. Good friends. This was totally worth feeling left behind and out of the loop all summer long. Totally. Totally. Except that's not how it happened in the book or the movie. Oh, well, now I'm sad again. But in the book, like I said, it's Lupin who told him to go inside. Yes. And he tells him not to go in too far. Like, there's just too much shit that he can get into or accidentally overhear that he's not supposed to at this point. So just go inside, don't go too far, and don't touch anything. Mm-hmm. Basically, get in the hall, make no noise, and pretend you don't exist. Yeah. He should be used to that. Yeah. But he goes into this damp, dark, dank, dusty hall, all of the Ds. Mm-hmm. It smells like it's rotting. It probably is. Lovely. And just everything about it is just derelict. It is all just falling apart. At least it seems that way because it's pretty dark. And the only light that he has is coming from outside behind him on the street lamps. Which I'm not entirely sure how that's happening unless Moody put him back on. Yeah. But it's specifically mentioned in the book that the only light is coming from outside. Okay. So theoretically, I mean, he must have. He must have, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so the only light is coming from the door which then moody gets everybody inside and closes it and they're literally entered into complete and total darkness Mm -hmm. until moody has the opportunity to turn all of the lights on just gas lamps along the hallway and then he can actually see some stuff a little bit but with everybody whispering and the flickering gas lamps and just the general 
feeling that the whole house gives. Yeah. He just feels like really like, oh, God, what is happening right now? This definitely isn't a surprise party. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure he probably feels like he's about to get murdered. It's entirely possible. It wouldn't be the first time. Like, Jesus, all that just to get fucking murdered now? You brought me to a murder house, Moody. It is totally a murder house. (laughs) But the wallpaper's peeling. The carpets are all threadbare. There's just these dirty old portraits hanging on the walls. The chandelier, which is shaped like serpents, is also covered in cobwebs. They need to get a cleaning lady up in that bitch. Like now. Yeah. Facts. But then on a positive note, mostly, Mrs. Weasley comes out of a door on the opposite end of the hall. Oh, so they have a cleaning lady. Basically, just... Apparently, they haven't worried about the spider webs on the chandeliers at this point. I'm sure if the hallway is any indication, she's got her hands full. Yeah. yeah. So, she's been busy. She also looks thinner and paler than usual, which is why I said it's mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Thinner and paler is a strong indication that not everything is well. Yeah. Thinner, paler, inside a murder house. Those three things, never a good sign. But she does smile. She greets Harry. She gives him the usual mama bear hug Mm -hmm. and tells him that he's looking peaky and needs to be fed up because that's what she does. And that's what he needs. Mm -hmm. Believe we talked about that last episode, how the satchels of assholes barely bought Harry food. Yep. But she also tells him the dinner's going to have to wait. Yeah. In the movie, Moody, not being one to take things slowly, pushes past Harry, who's just taken... Way too goddamn long. Well, there's just so much to look at. Again, I mean, you want to take in all the sights when you're in a murder house. All the Ds? All the Ds. The other wizards follow behind Moody, and as she passes, Tonks throws him a sly little wink. Yeah, I didn't feel like that was very Tonksy like I didn't feel like it was necessary, just in general. It was weird. I don't know. So she tosses him this little wink. And then immediately loses any cool points she just got when she trips and damn near face plants. Now that is more Tonksy like Right? That's Tonks. Though I'm not going to lie, that's also kind of me. Well, yes. Because I am totally that one that'll be like, I'm in a room or like I'll be walking across a bar and there's just like all of these good looking guys and I try to strut past them and I just trip over nothing. I do that except there at no point did I have any cool points to begin with. I just start tripping over shit. (laughs) They're just like, oh, look, the hot mess just face planted. Big shocker there. (laughs) So, yeah, it's no shock when I do those things. But anyway, at the end of the hallway, Harry catches the briefest glimpse of Sirius, Lupin, and Arthur Weasley sitting at a table as every moviegoer watches as Harry's heart jumps into his throat. Mm -hmm. And we all felt it, and we all just went... (gasps) That little bit of Lupin that we got, Mm -hmm. there was supposed to be so much more. Oh, yeah. That's all the Lupin. But that's all we got. We are lacking in Lupin. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're lacking in a lot of things, but... In this moment, it's Lupin. In this moment, it's definitely Lupin. But they see him at the end of the hall and stop talking. Partially because, like, oh, you gotta be fucking quiet because can't let him know shit. And partially because, like, holy shit, it's Harry. Right. So that's nice. And Harry smiles as he thinks of what to say, but before he can get anything out, Mama Weasley comes out to greet him, and she closes the door behind her, because, again, secrecy. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. But she goes up to him, gives him a big old Mama Weasley hug, which, for the record, is how I hug. I can attest to this. And what's amazing about Mama Katie hugs 
is that you get hugged twice because you have her arms and her boobs. Mm -hmm. Her arms and her wahoos just embrace you. You kind of sink into them. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. (laughs) But anyway, she tells him how glad she is that he's all right and also comments that he's a bit peaky because that's mama talk for you're not eating enough. I must now fatten you up. And pretty spot on to the book. Mm hmm. Exactly. She tells him that the fattening up will have to wait until after the meeting. And before he can even say anything asking about said meeting, she cuts him off and tells him to go upstairs to the first door on the left. She watches him as he goes up the stairs and gives him a little nod to let him know he's going in the right direction. Because that's what mamas do. This is slightly different from the book, though the gang of wizards that escorted Harry do go into that meeting room like they do in the movie. And Mrs. Weasley has exited. She stops Harry from trying to follow them. Mm-hmm. So slightly different because she just full on closes the door in the movie. He doesn't even get the chance to try to follow them, really. Yeah. He makes a move as though he's going to, but doesn't get far. No, he does not get far. She cuts that off pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. When he tries, she's just like, nope, this is for members of the order only. And Harry is 100% ready to join up now, but he doesn't even get the opportunity to say that. She's just like, go upstairs, hang out with Ron and Hermione until the meeting's over, and then we'll get to have dinner. But also, don't make noise in the hall. Mm -hmm. So very similar. The biggest difference is that in the book, she tells him to go up to the room on the right. And in the movie, she says left. But that's obviously just what the set was. And it's just a weird change, but... Well, I mean, if that's where the door was, they can't say go to the door on the right if it's the door on the left. That's just wrong. No, it's right. (laughs) That's just incorrect. But anyway, when she tells him to keep his voice down in the hall, Harry's just like, why? And she just tells him that she doesn't want him to wake anything up. That's a good sign. And Harry's just like, what? And she's just like, I'll explain later. Not right now. Right now I need to be in the meeting. But she also recognizes that Harry's not going to stop asking questions. So she's just like, you know what? I'm just going to walk him up to the room. Mm -hmm. Drop him off. Yeah. Because he'll stand here forever and just try and listen in at the door. I know this kid. I'm going to be your escort right now, kid. Mm -hmm. Because I don't trust you. Nor should she. No. She knows his meddling ways. Yeah. Well, she's got, you know, six boys of her own. Yeah. She knows all about the meddling. She sure does. Just to reiterate, staying quiet in the hall, she presses a finger to her mouth and they tiptoe past a long moth-eaten curtain that Harry assumes is just like covering a door. Mm-hmm. And then they go past an umbrella stand that appears to have been made from a troll's leg. Ew. But that was our trivia question. I keep giving you ew trivia questions. <laughs> <laughs> too. Ew, David. Ew, David. They head up the dark staircase where they walk right past this row of shrunken house elf heads mounted to plaques that are then mounted to the wall. So like hunting trophies. Basically. Which is disturbing in its own right. Extremely. (sighs) And Harry's still wanting to ask questions, of course, because he's Harry. Yeah. At this point, he's probably like, what is going on? This is a murder house. Right. But Mrs. Weasley cuts him off and says, Ron and Hermione, you'll explain everything. I've got to go. She directs him to the room on the right, like I said, not the left, Mm -hmm. and says that she'll call them when the meeting is over. Yeah. Similarly, though, without Mrs. Weasley, in the movie, Harry makes his way up the stairs and decides that this must be a creepy-ass oddities museum, like a wizarding Ripley's Believe It or Not or some shit, because why the hell else would you have taxidermied house elves on display? But total ding. Yeah, very much ding. So yay. But also, ew, 
and so ew. Very disturbing. I mean, even if this isn't a human murder house, there is proof that it is definitely a house elf murder house. It is totally a Wizarding Ripley's Believe It or Not murder house. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely messed up. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. So rightfully so, Harry is not too keen on continuing up these stairs, but he's halfway up, so he might as well keep going, because it's Harry. I'm sure there's a level of curiosity about all of these oddities in the murder house at the same time that there's trepidation. Yeah, definitely. Meddling will always win out. Mm-hmm. But you know, that hat put him in Gryffindor. And this is why. This is absolutely why. Tell you what, you put me in a murder house, I'm getting the fuck out again. <laughs> I am leaving. I totally went up the stairs. Yeah, you're going up the stairs. I'm going to go get a room at the Days Inn. Like, I'm good, y'all. Bye. But anyway... Then, as if his trip to the department of what the fuck couldn't get any weirder, it said challenge accepted. Hold my butter beer. Yes, exactly. Harry then hears a murmuring voice saying some really weird ass shit, like mud bloods, blood traitors. He gets to the first landing and sees an old as fuck house elf carrying a box all hunched over and looking way more ragged than Dobby ever did when he first met him. Which is actually impressive right dobby was a little bit of a train wreck oh poor dobby but this one is just hunched over and hunchbacked and just looks like he's been punched a good number of times which in the murder house it's entirely possible especially the house elf murder house right the murder house elf yes the murder house elf now in the book this house elf doesn't get referenced until later in the chapter So we don't actually meet him in the book yet. Yeah, but in the movie, this creep-ass little oversized mole rat stares Harry down as he drags a box past him and towards a curtain covering a picture frame on the wall. And he begins, like, polishing it with a probably dirty rag because everything in there is dirty. But then all of a sudden, a second voice can be heard muttering. And the house elf starts like, There, there, it's all right. Being creepy. Super creepy. You're even creepier now. Just two seconds ago when we first met you, I didn't think you'd get creepier. And then you did. So on one hand, well done. Again, hold my butterbeer. Yeah. So that's just super fun. Mm-hmm. You know? Harry's probably standing there like, maybe Privet Drive wasn't that bad after all. I think we just found our Potter pondering. Ooh. Would you rather spend a week at Privet Drive or a night? In a murder house. And why? I mean, if you forgot, I got that room at the Days Inn, so I'm just going to chill there. Because no. See, I had to up the stakes a little bit because a night at Privet Drive would clearly beat out a night at a murder house. Well, sure. Yeah, of course. But a week. The Gryffindor in me is leaning murder house. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I might welcome murder. (laughs) (laughs) What? Between those two options, just like, take me now, fine. But I am interested to hear what our keepers have to say. Mm-hmm. In the book, Molly hurries back down the stairs, leaving Harry on the landing, no house self in sight. Mm-hmm. Just the landing with a- another serpent for the doorknob. This seems to be a theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he opens the door and he gets to see the bedroom. There's two twin beds. And that's about all he sees before he's just basically tackled by Hermione and all of her bushy hair. Mm-hmm. She begins to just, I mean, word vomit. 
not breathing the way that I can do sometimes. The way I can never do. Yeah. (laughs) Rapid firing questions at him. Comments. You must be so angry at us. I know our letters have been useless. Dumbledore made us swear we wouldn't say anything to you. You have to tell us all about the Dementors. The ministry hearing is outrageous. They can't expel you. I've looked it all up. It's just completely outrageous. And Ron's just like, let Harry breathe. And really, I think he should be like Hermione breathe. Right. Maybe calm down. But he also grins and closes the door behind Harry because he is really happy to see his best friend. Well, of course. And this part is really spot on in the movie. Everything down to Hermione's breathless talking. Mm-hmm. The only thing missing is the bushy hair because her hair's still not really bushy. But Yeah, but he was tackled by Hermione and her eyebrows. So it makes up for it a little bit. Oh, Lord, those eyebrows. But yeah, he slowly opens the door and is immediately attacked by Hermione using one of her newly learned self-defense techniques, the front headlock. (laughs) (laughs) The hug lock. Yes. Hug lock. That's it. (laughs) Episode title. Woohoo. Its success rate as wrestling moves isn't really the best, but it does certainly work to confuse your opponent, so. I bet you would give killer hug locks. I would kill with my hug locks. That's what I mean. I'm the one. I'm the success rate. (laughs) (laughs) Come at me, punk, if you dare. But she breathlessly asks if he's all right and wants to know all the details of the Dementor attack. So word vomit right there. Oh, yeah. And it was so Hermione. Yes, very much so. And Ron tries to get her to back the hell up so Harry can breathe, even though really she's the one who needs that more than Harry. Ding. Yeah. It's like she was just doing her Jane Fonda workout and Harry walked in and she was like, oh my God, I was just working out. Oh my God, but I got all this stuff to say. (sighs) Except it's really how Hermione talked. Yes. And I mean, you've gone all summer without seeing each other. There's a lot of shit has gone down. I can understand it, but seeing it in the movie, it does kind of annoy me. But it is very, very close to the book. Yeah, I was pleased with it. Yeah. But anyway, Hermione gives very much zero fucks about what Ron says, because why would she? And she continues on about the hearing at the ministry and how it's all bullshit. And Harry's just kind of like looking around, taking in his surroundings. And he points out that there's a lot of that going around lately. You know, the bullshit. Because, you know, he is just smelling it everywhere he goes. Yeah, he just stepped in it and it's just following him everywhere. Mm -hmm, All the bullshit. This is when we start to get to some of that extra detail that the movie left out. Mm-hmm. Because Hermione does finally let go of him. Yeah. And then Hedwig makes her grand entrance. Sure. And she's not mad at Harry at all. She lands on his shoulder and just like affectionately nibbles his ear, which I think on one level has got to make Harry feel better because he did feel bad that he snapped at her, his only friend at Privet Drive. Mm-hmm. And Ron holds up his finger that has a really deep, though half-heeled cut on it. And it's just like, dude, she has been in a right state when she brought those last letters. And Harry's just like, yeah, that was totally my fault. I told her I wanted answers. And then she needed to get them from you. My bad guy. But at the same time, oh, poor baby. This is also like the pin that pops his balloon. Because he just like inflated with happiness when he first got to see his best friends Mm -hmm. like the reunion and he kind of forgot just how mad he was and then ron points out that i got this cut on my finger because hedwig started pecking at us and harry's just like yeah that's because i wanted fucking answers and he's just like i wanted fucking answers and pop his balloon of happiness gone 
Yeah, he is right back in it. Like, what the fuck, guys? At this point, he's trying to keep it under control. Yeah. And there's just this moment of silence. And Hermione's just like, Dumbledore seemed to think it was for the best that we didn't tell you anything. And Ron's like, we think he thought you were safest with the muggles. And Harry's just like, really? Were either of you attacked by Dementors this summer? Mm-hmm. Hmm? No? Neither? No No one? Just me then, Anyone? Huh? No, just me? Hmm. Interesting. And Ron's just like, no, but there were members of the Order watching out for you. And Harry's just like, yeah, and how well did that work out? They did a really bang-up job there, finger cut. And that was terrible. <laughs> I couldn't think of a fucking word. They did a really bang up job, didn't they, guy? Hermione tells Harry just how angry Dumbledore was when he found out Mundungus left his shift early. And she was like, he was scary. Which, it's fun because it's not very often we get to see scary Dumbledore unless you're watching the movie. Right. Then we see him all the fucking time. Except for when he's calmly asking Harry about the Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah. Totally. Aside from that. When Aside from that. He was super chill. Totally chill. But anyway, Harry is just like, yeah, well, I'm glad that he left because if he had been there, then I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do magic fighting off those Dementors and I probably would have been stuck at Privet Drive all fucking summer. That's a valid point. And Hermione's just like, but you're in trouble. Like, aren't you worried about the hearing? Because, you know, what's worse than being expelled? Yeah. And Harry literally turns his back on his friends so they can't see his face as he's about to lie. Mm Because he tries to pretend like he's not at all concerned. He's just like, not really. He's so trying to be the tough guy. Trying to be the tough guy. But he looks around the room, just kind of taking it all in. Mm -hmm. And decides to change the subject from the hearing. Still working so hard to stay calm. He's just like, so why do you think Dumbledore wanted to keep me in the dark? And Ron's just like, honestly, we don't know. He's really busy. We've barely seen him. He just made us swear not to put anything important in writing. I mean, I see why he would say that. It's understandable. Yeah. But Harry does point out that they still could have figured out a way to keep him informed. Yeah. There are other ways to communicate aside from just letters delivered by Owl. So he's now thinking that maybe Dumbledore doesn't trust him or doesn't think he can take care of himself. And Hermione's just like, there's no way that's what he thinks. This is when Harry loses his shit. Mm -hmm. All of Harry's ability to stay calm. Not that he had much to begin with. He didn't, but it was just stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching. And we already popped the balloon. Now we're just snapping it. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, then why did I have to stay at the Dursleys all by myself? Well, you get to be here and know everything that's going on. Which is a valid point. And Ron's just like, well, we don't know what's going on. Really? We're not allowed in the meetings. And Harry starts shouting at this point. He has snapped. He has no chill left. No. Zero chill. It is gone, and he is just screaming at them mm-hmm. about how they know some stuff that's going on. And he's just been stuck at the Dursleys for a month. He's handled more than the two of them combined, saving the Sorcerer Stone, getting rid of Riddle, saving them from Dementors, getting past dragons and sphinxes and other mad things. He saw Voldemort come back and escape from him. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I've done all of this shit, and I'm left out. You guys have done, like, nothing Yeah, Harry's got the merit badges. And you're here. Why are you here and I wasn't? Yeah. 
And Ron's just there like, uh, uh, uh. Because Harry has a point. Yeah. Even if it is a little inflated. But yeah, he makes valid points in there. Yes. It's just, they're very emotional valid points. Yeah. Hermione tries to explain that they did really want to tell him. But Dumbledore made him promise and Harry cuts her off. I know, I know, Dumbledore made you promise. But this just sets him off even more. And he just keeps on yelling. And Hermione finally just says she's really sorry. He's right. Mm-hmm. She'd be furious if she was in his position too. Yeah. Anybody would. So that right there was enough to not calm Harry down, but at least put a pause on the yelling. Mm-hmm. And he just sort of paces back and forth. And then finally is just like, so where are we? Like, I'm here now. Instead of telling me that Dumbledore doesn't want me to know anything, he made you promise. Why don't you just start telling me some fucking things? Yeah. So Ron's just like, this is headquarter of the Order of the Phoenix. I know this one. (laughs) And Hermione elaborates to let Harry know that it is a secret society that was founded by Dumbledore to fight you-know-who the first time around. So, I mean, we're already meeting Harry's point of you still knew more than I fucking did. Exactly. (laughs) Harry wants to know who's in it. And Ron's just like, well, we've met about 20 of them, but we do think there's more actually in the order. Mm-hmm. They just don't come to meetings. They phone it in. They phone it in. They do teleconference. Owl conference. Owl, yes. <laughs> Tell-owl conference. Yes. <laughs> so Harry's just now glaring at them mm-hmm. like, and <laughs> so. Yeah. And they're like, what? What's going on with Voldemort? Yeah. Big question, guys. Hello. (laughs) They, of course, cringe at the sound of his name. But Hermione's just like, well, again, we're not allowed in the meetings, but we do have a general idea. All of that was streamlined down in the movie with everything about Hedwig and obviously Mundungus, who isn't even in the movie. It was just all left out. Completely. They just were like, nah, fuck that noise. Instead, Ron and Hermione, they just kind of stand there, awkward as fuck, because what are you going to do? And Harry walks further into the room, ready to unleash his angst and his caps lockiness at them for being dickhole friends. Dickhole friends. (laughs) (laughs) But he decides to start slow and simply asks them what the fuck this place is. Ding. Mm Mm-hmm. They tell him that it is headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix, which was started by Dumbledore back in the day when Voldy was... In power and his parents were alive. Ding! Ding! See? We're not doing too bad here. So Harry is getting increasingly pissed off and snarks out that they should have written him a damned letter to tell him all this stuff because the Dursleys suck ass and he hasn't gotten any news and they just suck. Like, come on! This has been a big suck fest! Mm-hmm! least you guys have had fun in the murder house together. What have I had? The Dursleys. Fuck you guys. Ron tries to explain to him that they wanted to tell him. They did. But Hermione cuts in, because it's Hermione, Mm -hmm. and she tells Harry that they couldn't because Dumbledore said no. And as we know, these are definitely kids who listen to the things that authority figures tell them. Yes. As crickets chirp in the background. (laughs) But for some reason, this time they did. This time they did. And Harry is like, wait, what the fuck? Why didn't Dumbledore want him to know? 
Considering Harry himself is the only reason that old bastard even knows that Voldy is back in the first place. And plus, you know, Harry kind of has a history of foiling bad guy plans through his innate ability to meddle his way into the very grasp of death and then wriggle himself back out at least 20 times in any given school year. Accurate. He makes a valid point. But at the same time... The whole not putting anything in writing also makes point. Yeah. But they don't actually say that in the movie. They just make it sound like, oh, Dumbledore told us not to tell you anything. Yeah. Which it would have made more sense had they just said, Dumbledore said not to put anything in writing. Right. That would have been just as simple. And still accurate. Yeah. So interjection here. I just want to point out that I thought Dan's acting was really good here. Mm hmm. But it's not what I imagined from the book. Yeah. The emotion was real. Yeah. But I was definitely expecting more caps lock Harry. Oh, yeah. This was more like italicized Harry. Yes. Like he was definitely angsty. And italics, I mean, they convey emotion. They do their job. But they're not caps lock. And he was definitely caps lock in the book. Definitely. Another difference left out detail you could say Mm -hmm. is that we get a front-loaded explanation of the extendable ears yeah ron mentions that fred and george invented them and they're really useful so yay also tells a story about how their mom found out about them and went absolutely crazy (laughs) tried to chuck them all in the bin and they had to hide what was left of them so she didn't get them all yeah like molly does Mm mm-hmm Not the first thing she destroyed of the Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes. No, not at all. Certainly not the first. Definitely not the last. No. But before she found out about them, they were able to get quite a bit of use out of them. And they know from that that the Order is working to recruit more people, but they have to do it under the radar. Mm -hmm. That they've been keeping tabs on known Death Eaters. (coughs) Tee von Douchebag. Um... Do you need a lozenge or something? No, I'm good. Just needed to clear my throat. Oh, okay. But they also talk a lot about guard duty, and Ron's just like, but don't really know what they're guarding. And Harry's like, do you think maybe that could have been me? <laughs> and when Ron's like, oh, Harry just sort of smirks at him. I love Ron's, like, moments of clarity. Almost like blonde moments. Right? Like, holy shit, no way! Yeah, and then Harry just, like, completely snorts at Mm -hmm. Ron, like, oh, yeah, okay, glad you're catching up. See, this is why you need to clue me in. Yeah. You could have been not comprehending this for, like, a good two months or whatever. Right. But he also hasn't completely let go of his anger, so he's looking for something else to snip at them for, and he's just like, so what has been keeping you so busy if you can't go to the meetings? (laughs) And Hermione's like, well, we've been decontaminating this house because it's basically unlivable. It's a murder house, Mm -hmm. as you know. Yes. It's been empty for years because everybody that was here is pretty much murdered. Yep. Dead, murdered, you know. As you usually find in murder houses. And she starts to tell him that she thinks they're going to be working on the drawing room tomorrow, but it's interrupted when Fred and George just pop, apparate in right behind her. And she's just like, oh, shit. I would hate newly licensed apparitionists. Yeah. Oh, my God. Especially if they're like Fred and George. Because you know they're purposely doing it right behind someone. Oh, yeah. Just to scare the shit out of them. And you know that you would, too, if you could. It depends on the person, because sometimes I actually feel really, really bad when I scare the shit out of somebody. 
But there are people that you wouldn't feel bad about. That is true. But that specific part also basically happens in the movie. So, ding. Hafting. Hafting, because it is very streamlined and not interrupting Harry's not actually dulcet tones. Yeah. But, I mean, right at the crescendo of Harry's angsty rant, Fred and George apparate in behind him. So not behind Hermione. And they scared the ever-loving bejesus out of the entire trio. So part of it was accurate. Mm-hmm. The timing, not quite the same. Not so much, yeah. Way to break the tension, though, boys. Well done. Just trying to diffuse the tension. <laughs> because it was. The air was very heavy in that moment after he stopped talking. Yeah. So that is what they did. Then one of them, probably George. 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 One of them offers Harry an option for a better way to spend his time. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if it'll involve meddling of some kind. Oh, I'm sure that it'll involve meddling of some kind. Hmm. That's always a better way to spend Harry's time. (laughs) Meddling. And that line that one of the twins say is actually directly from the book. Mm Mm-hmm. So ding. So ding. In the book, it's George. Who says that they thought they heard his dulcet tones. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's more accurate to the book because he is literally screaming. Yes. And then it's Fred who says he shouldn't bottle up his anger like that. Mm-hmm. Some people 50 miles away may not have heard him. <laughs> right? I love the Weasley twins. <laughs> we needed them more. And Harry's just like, oh, I guess you've passed your apparition test, huh? <laughs> and Fred's just like, with distinction. <laughs> We all know the only reason they passed was because they were so motivated just to scare the shit out of people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So at this point in this chapter, we actually get to see the extendable ears that were mentioned. And it's a flesh-colored string, but it's trailing out the door and onto the landing. Okay. And Fred's just like, so you're interfering with our reception? <laughs> we're trying to listen into the meeting. Yeah. We need you to shut the hell up. And Ron's just like, you need to be careful. Make sure mom doesn't see those again. She's going to be pissed. Mm -hmm. And Fred's just like, oh, no, it's worth the risk. This is a major meeting that they are having. Uh Oh, big to do going on. Big to do. And this is where we cut off the book and movie scenes. Because, you know, stop it before the to do. Before the to do. And this lined up pretty well. Yeah. Again, since there were actually some movie scenes, yay, we do have some actors to talk about. And first off, we see my inspiration, Miss Julie Walters, returning as Molly Weasley. I love her so much. She is just the epitome of Molly Weasley. I just, I love her. And I love how she's like, Harry dear, so wonderful to see you. It's just exactly what I imagined. Everything about what she does, the way she calls him peaky, even the way that she, when she's directing him upstairs and she's just like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just, it has that absolute mama bear frantic. Yeah. And she even looked thinner and peakier herself. She did. She was a bit paler. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And she played it so well. She's so great. Julie Walters herself played Molly Weasley so well. I was just like, I'm happy for Harry at this yeah. point because he gets his Mama Weasley back. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what an actor is supposed to do. Yeah. And, and she did it. She did it. And she is my hero and I love her. 
And if anyone ever says anything bad about her, I will put them in a fucking hug lock (laughs) and suffocate them with my wahoos until they say, oh, actually, I was quite wrong. And Julie Walters is the fucking goat. Don't hold back. I think some people 50 miles away still didn't hear you. Well, give me a minute. (laughs) (laughs) But we also see Emma Watson return as Hermione Granger. And her eyebrows. Yes. And her eyebrows. (laughs) I know we criticize her a lot for not having the bushy hair. That is 100% not her fault. No. No, we totally don't get on Emma about that at all. Yeah, it's not her fault. No. And as much as you say that she kind of annoyed you in this scene, I legit think she was supposed to. Well, and see, that's the thing. Is I was annoyed by Hermione in the books. Yes. So... It's not necessarily that I'm annoyed by Emma. I'm just annoyed by the character, which in my mind is a good thing because you're playing it how I read it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When she runs up and hugs Harry and she's like, oh my God, this ministry, this hearing, the matter. And it was just, yeah. I looked at all of it, read all about it. I was just like, the fuck? Were you just running a half marathon? What is going on in that room before Harry walks in? But it's described as being breathless in the book. It I is, really thought she nailed it. That's kind of my point is, yes, Hermione gets on my nerves, but Emma plays her very well. And also gets on your nerves. That's more about the eyebrows, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought she nailed this scene. She did. And I think that this was really the start of her bringing more depth to Hermione. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. It's just those eyebrows. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I love Emma. And I can't imagine anybody else playing Hermione. So it had to be her. We also saw Rupert Grint returning as Ron Weasley. And he didn't have a whole lot to do, but he did it well. You know, he was his little sarcastic, snarky self. Not to the same level that Harry got in this one, but Mm -hmm. he definitely has his moments and you could see it in his face. He didn't get the good lines that he probably should have. But I thought he did really well, where he's just like, just let the man breathe, Hermione. Right. Come on. And he'll have other moments that we can talk about. Yes. Where he really shines. He was not given a lot in this scene. Yes, no. (laughs) Yes, no. (laughs) Yes, no. Don't you know, yeah, no means no, and no, yeah. No, yeah. Means yeah. But we also got to see Oliver Phelps return as George Weasley. And we can't talk about Oliver without talking about James. Considering they're playing twins, Fred and George Weasley. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And they, I mean, for their, what, three lines they were given were incredible, as usual. I loved their appearance. Mm Mm-hmm. Their apparating appearance. I love the faces they made when they operated in because they were kind of like, ta-da! Like, ta-da! Everyone's fucking annoyed by us and we don't care! Ta! And we love it! Yeah. <laughs> and we'll have more moments with them too because they have some that are really great in this movie. Yeah. But they got their snark out. Oh, they got their snark out. Know? I love the fact that they got a line directly from the book. Yeah. I feel like that actually did happen a lot, though not nearly enough with them. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that was written for them in the book was so golden that they were like, we have to include this line. And they did. 
Yeah. There's just some other really good ones that they had to include and didn't. Yeah, there's definitely that. But, I mean, at least we got what we did. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Again, with what they're given, they do an amazing job. Well, they are the Weasley twins. Right? I see no difference. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Just saying. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering. Which, as we said, would you rather spend a week at Privet Drive or a night at a murder house? Mm-hmm. Specifically, 12 Grimmauld Place. 12 Grimmauld Place, the murder house. Yes. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. And you can also stitch them to us on TikTok. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Juliana Muma. Hi, ladies. My name is Juliana Muma. I am a proud Ravenclaw with Hufflepuff as my secondary house. My Ilvermorny house is Thunderbird, but closely followed by Puckwudgie and Horn Serpent. My wand is Spruce Wood, Phoenix Feather Core, 10 inches with slightly springy flexibility. My Patronus is a husky. I started reading the Harry Potter series in 1997 when the books first came out in the U.S. I loved book one and devoured it. Sadly, book two scared me so much that I took a short hiatus. Once I got past Mrs. Norris getting petrified, I devoured that book as well. Once I started, the obsession never stopped. I attended every midnight book release since Goblet of Fire and watched every movie on opening weekend. I have a bittersweet memory of reading Dumbledore's speech at the end of Goblet on 9-11-01. Growing up with the books, I wanted so badly to be Hermione, but found that I wasn't terribly brave. I went through an emo phase in high school, like everyone, and thought I was a Slytherin, but found I wasn't terribly cunning or ambitious. I settled on Hufflepuff until Pottermore, rest in peace, pour one out, sorted me into Ravenclaw, which is definitely where I belong. As a music teacher, I value knowledge and creativity. I find myself as a 30-year-old being a mix of McGonagall, Mrs. Weasley, and Hermione. I am an elementary music teacher, and my students know that I am the walking, talking Harry Potter encyclopedia. I married a muggle-slash-nomadge and have two beautiful half-blood children. While dealing with postpartum depression after the birth of my second kiddo, I found the Swish and Flick podcast. And that led me to you, ladies. Thank you for always making me laugh and smile. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Juliana. Yes, thank you. I love you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. You can also message it to us over social media or comment with it on our Sorting Hat Saturday post. Mm-hmm. This week's trivia question is, what does Ginny throw at the kitchen door to figure out if it has an imperturbable charm on it? The first one who responds with a correct answer in the code word hashtag no contact will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. 
Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 4, Number 12, Grimmauld Place, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.